I think that the problem we're going to talk about today is a bigger problem for us today than it was in Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, uh, they lived in what was basically a subsistence economy, and we live in a, a very consumeristic uh, society. The question for them was producing enough stuff to go around. For us, it's figuring out a way to use all the things we produce. So I think that we the problem is actually worse for us today because we have shipyards and uh, ships uh, filled with all kinds of goods headed toward them. As soon as that empties out, they'll have some more. So this is the problem we have. But when I say we, what I really mean is me. I want to be honest. I have a problem. I have I have a problem with stuff. Um, if you've seen my office, you know it. But my problem is actually getting worse. And as I've said many times in this series, uh, most of most of my preaching during the last several weeks has been aimed at me, and I'm hoping that it's useful to you, but I know it's uh, it's a message I need to hear. Um, so I went to New Mexico a couple of weeks ago, and I came back with um, some stuff. I came back with just under 100 pounds. You know how this works, right? You know, the Club Alaska, uh, two, two checked bags. I came back with about 95 pounds of stuff um, in these two uh, 17-gallon totes. And I knew I knew what size tote to get because Margot told me because she brought home two totes from her parents' house a year ago. So I, I brought home stuff and it's like I, I, I said to myself, I don't need this stuff. I, I can't possibly have more stuff in my house and at the same time I can't leave it here because it's full of things that I couldn't afford to get rid of. I could not in my in my heart of hearts get rid of the photographs um, from my parents' house. So um, here's an example. This is a picture of my mom when she was very young. That's her right there. So you see she's got that same smiling face that I do. Um, <laughs> this is my dad's uh, discharge from the Navy and his discharge from the Air Force. And I said to myself, I can't, I can't get rid of this stuff, um, but at the same time I don't need to bring 95 pounds of junk back to Alaska. So I have a problem. And the other day I was at the store... <coughs> And I saw this, and I thought, I thought to myself, oh, it's not just me. <laughs> that there's a great price on totes, by the way. Um, and and look, I understand where this comes from. I understand. I, I I do. You know, it's it's Christmas, or or maybe it's not Christmas. You know, some of us get our Christmas put away before February, but but um, if you do it quickly, then it'll be gone before March. So that's that's a. Uh, encouragement. You're thinking the box is looking a little ratty. Maybe you need a new tote to put it up, right? Fine. Okay. You're thinking, you know, it would be nice to be able to get the car to the garage. You know, I understand that too. You know, there's still a little bit of winter left. That would be nice. So, I mean, I understand where this comes from, but I also understand where it comes from. That, that there's a little, there's a little golem in all of us who has a little precious thing that is his birthday present and he cannot bear to part with it. That this is the thing we cannot bear to part with. And that's what I want to talk to us about today. Um, economists have done a lot of study in the last couple of decades, and they tell us that we suffer from something called loss aversion. The, the man in the picture there is, um, is a man named Daniel Kahneman. He won the Nobel Prize uh, in economics about uh, two decades ago, early 2000s, um, uh, for something called behavioral economics. And what he, what he figured out um, is that Economists always used to think that people were perfectly rational. And what he figured out is, no, we're not. That, that we are, we are irrational. And there's some predictable ways we are irrational. One of the things that they discovered is that people hate to lose more than they like to win. That, that you would rather, you would rather, um, you'd rather avoid, win, you'd rather not win 
about twice as much as you'd like to lose. And the way they measure that is they do these, these different types of experiments. So imagine there's a pizza parlor, okay, where it's, it, it's a, a certain price, but you pay extra for more toppings. So you're losing money with each topping you add, okay? People will get fewer toppings than if you have the exact same price schedule, but you start with a fixed price, and then you say, for each topping you get rid of, you, you, you pay less. And what they found is people hate to lose things. And so uh, that, that graph there shows we actually hate to lose things about twice as much as we like to gain things. That it's more painful to lose things than it is rewarding to gain things. And so for things like this, uh, Kahneman received the Nobel Prize because we hate to lose things. We want to hold on to things. But the lesson that I can tell you from my own collection of, of totes in my own house and the lesson we're going to see in scripture is that that's a trap that that kind of thinking is a terrible thinking and it only leads us to trouble so what i want to do today is i want to look at this um this passage of scripture from jesus where he's telling us about this um and uh he um He's not talking about totes, he's talking about barns, but I think you'll see the, uh, the similarities. So, so the story begins with a question about probate. Uh, the, the one brother says to Jesus, he says, um, someone called from the crowd, uh, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now, in that era, it would have been perfectly reasonable for somebody to go to a rabbi and say, help me with this probate matter, because there wasn't a formal system of courts the way we anticipate today. In those days, the court was literally the town square, and there would be elders who didn't have to work or something like that, and they would be down there, and they would they would uh, basically act like a jury for matters that came in, and a rabbi's word would be would be given a lot of weight in that circumstance. So that would have been a reasonable thing for somebody to do. Hey, here's a rabbi. Maybe he can intervene. But on the other hand, why would you go to your rabbi? Because the case is pretty simple. The, the rules for, for, um, for settling estates were very simple and they were well understood. They're, they're written in the Hebrew scriptures and everybody knew what they were. And, you know, there's some questions in the, uh, uh, in the program if you want to dig into how that actually worked and you can say, well, I think our system's better or you could say our system's worse. You can, you can dig into it a little bit if you want to. But they were a simple system. And so why is this guy coming to Jesus with a concern? Well, it's one of two things. Either he doesn't like them, he thinks that he's getting a raw deal and wants Jesus to kind of lean on the scale a little bit and give him a better deal than what the law requires. Or he figures that's what his brother's doing, that his brother uh, wants to get a better deal, so he's leveraging um, the, the power of time, right? By just kind of dragging this thing out, eventually I'll give up something that I have a right to. So so the, the, the probate question is, is simple, but it tells us something about what's going on behind the scenes. Somebody thinks that they're not getting enough, and that's what Jesus addresses in his answer. He says, he says, um, he says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. You know, Jesus, what a silly guy. Can you imagine? <laughs> what else is life measured by, really? I mean, you know, doesn't the one with the most toys um, win, you know, as the bumper sticker says? Jesus is so countercultural. Even today, 2,000 years later, after so many ways that Christianity has influenced our culture, this is a place where... It's as, it's as countercultural as it ever was. Jesus says our life does not consist of the things we own. So what, what does life consist of or, or what is Jesus getting at? Well, he tells them a story and he tells them the story about a rich man who had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. 
And uh, then he goes on to explain what he means by fine crops because the man says, what do I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. So he's got a lot of crops. That's what makes them so very fine. And a lot of us think that, that a lot means fine. And so this guy says, um, I don't have enough room for my crops, so what will I do? He says, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room, room and enough to store all my wheat and my other goods. And then... When I've got bigger barns filled with crops, then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus says, it's a trap. Don't do it. He says, God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And who will get everything you worked for? And as I read this, I actually wonder, you know, contextually, is Jesus addressing the point of the brother at the very beginning of the passage? Maybe Jesus knows something about that story, or maybe he's illustrating a point to other people in the audience and saying, you know, if you want your children to have arguments, then go ahead and die without a will, right? Don't take care of your important things while you're still here. Um, Jesus says, who will get everything you worked for? Jesus seems to have some knowledge here that makes me wonder if it's tied in with the previous thing. So so did this guy even have a will? He's such a planner. He's got this all figured out. I'm going to live for years and eat, drink, and be merry. Does he even have a will? Because God asks him, who's going to get the stuff that you worked so hard for? Or is he just setting up his children for more trouble like the one that began this story? But Jesus goes on. He says there's a there's a bigger point. He says a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth and not have a rich relationship with God. So, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, first of all, let's address the foolish part. You know, barns don't solve the problem. Barns barns are a problem. Uh, you know, barns require upkeep. Do you remember? <laughs> and totes, totes likewise. Um, you know, barns require upkeep. You know, you remember the, uh, the children's, the children's, I don't know what you call it, it's not a rhyme, but this is the house that Jack built. Right. Uh, this is the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the rat that ate the malt. Right. You know, uh, if you store your crops in a barn, then you're going to have rats coming to get it. You're going to have pests of various kinds. It's not going to stay perfectly well. There's no refrigeration. You know, there's there's no fumigation. You're going to have problems if you have barns full of crops. Right. You're just starting a new set of problems. Jesus addresses this very point elsewhere in Matthew's gospel. He tells us, uh, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Because in this world, that's what happens. Thieves break in and steal, moth and rust destroy. You know, uh, picture the situation. You are this farmer. You build the new, f- you, you get away with it, right? You, you go ahead, you know, God does not take your life that night. You build the barns. Okay, well, what's going to happen? You're going to get a, you're going to get a, a visit from the tax agent who says, hey, I noticed you put in bigger barns. We're going to reassess the property and figure out the new value of your of your farm based on our new understanding of what it's worth. And by the way, I, I brought my friend here from the uh, estate tax, uh, I mean, the um, the inventory tax people, and we're going we're gonna to assess a larger inventory tax. And then frankly, because we're Romans and we're not too care, we don't really care about you occupied countries, we're just going to shake you down for a big bribe because obviously you can afford to pay one. So, so this is not a very practical thing to do in a lot of different ways. It's not sustainable. What happens if he builds his barns and then next year he gets another big crop, right? What's, what's, 
plan for year plus one? Does he have a plan for that? You know, uh, there, there's the, the question of the tax man. And then, and then, you know, the, the question of, okay, if, if he manages to keep all these balls in the air, is he just saying, I'm going to do this until I retire? Am I going to continue doing this, this plan right up to retirement? In which case, if what he really wants to do is to relax and eat, drink, and be merry, why not do it now? Right? Why not give his children the running of his affairs and then just go, go join the other, the other elders of the community down at the town square and be that court? Right? Let him become part of that, that elder caucus that decides the matters that, that concern the community. Why does he want to have his cake and eat it too? Well, the reason is because what he's really looking for is he wants a nest egg. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. He says, he says, this is the place where you get into trouble because you start trusting in stuff. Instead of trusting in God, you trust in stuff. You think that there is some number of barns and maybe it's not the number you've got now, or maybe it's half of what you've got, but there is some set of barns, there's some set of totes, that when you've got that, then your problems will go away. And Jesus says, well, no. He says, look at the ravens. They don't harvest or plant or store, uh, plant or harvest or store food in barns, but God feeds them. And you're far more valuable to him than any birds. He says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Jesus says, You're, we, we are not good at worrying. We don't know what to worry about. We just aren't very good when it comes to worrying. We, we worry about the small things. He talks elsewhere to, to some people about how they, they strain at gnats and swallow camels. That, that we pick the wrong things to worry about. Because, yes, you may have, you may have a barn full of grain and, you know, you're trying not to think about the rats going after it. But, but you may have that settled. But can you, can you, can you keep your kids from getting in a chariot accident? Can you keep disease at bay? You know, you may have seen this couple or ex-couple. All the money in the world. Did it keep them from getting a divorce? No. Because having enough stuff doesn't solve the problems in your life. So what's the lesson? The lesson is not to build bigger barns. The lesson is that totes are a trap. So, what do we do? What do we do? You know, is Jesus telling us to sell all we have and, you know, move into um, some sort of a commune or something like that? I don't think we have to go that far. There is one person he says to do that, right? There's one person in the scriptures that Jesus says, sell everything you've got. He only sell, he only tells it to the one person. He doesn't tell it to anybody else. So maybe we can, we can back off and just kind of say, well, what's the first step down that path? What's, what's Jesus getting at? And I think what he's telling us to do is to use it or lose it. Right? He's saying, if you can enjoy it, go right ahead. But if you can't, don't. Let me give you some examples. I was thinking about this. This is Jay Leno. He's got 169 cars at last count. Okay? And that's his uh, Ford GT. It looks like a pretty fun car to drive. Um, uh, I don't know what it costs to insure, but um, it's probably not cheap. But, you know, you ask yourself, if you were, if you were Jay Leno and you had that car, how often would you get around to driving your Lamborghini? You know, <laughs> I, I, I would wonder, you know, how can you do that? Now, now at least Leno has got a big barn. He's got a gigantic garage, and he's got all those cars there. But suppose he gave you both of those cars. What would you do, right? You'd put one in the garage if you could clean out all the totes. But, <laughs> but, 
But what would you do with the other one? You'd be like everybody else. You'd have it wrapped in plastic and you'd put it in some lot across town, right? The way we do, right? Because we don't have room for all of our stuff. So you'd have to pick. And maybe what you should do is say, look, I'm going to use it or lose it. Let me give you an example that hits a little closer to home. This guy is Steve Sansweet. He is the proprietor of what is now Rancho Obi-Wan. It is the world's largest collection of Star Wars memorabilia. He has 90,000 unique items, 90,000 unique pieces of Star Wars memorabilia. He's actually got 300,000 items in the collection, so that you can see there's some duplication. But... But he's got that collection. Okay, and again, he's got, he's turned it into a museum. But suppose you just had three or four hundred pieces of Star Wars memorabilia. You know, kind of a, a manageable thing. How many of them would be in totes? You know, how often would you actually get around to using the Darth Vader toaster? You know, would you actually have it out on your counter? Or would it be in a tote in the attic or in the basement? So use it or lose it. Who knows who this is? Steve. Steve Jobs. All right. So Steve Jobs. Today's his birthday. He would have been 64 if he had lived to today. How about this guy? Who's this? Anyone recognize this? Bill Gates. That's right. Okay. And who's this? Facebook guy. Yes. Okay. Facebook guy. That's the <laughs> Facebook guy. His name is Mark Zuckerberg. So we recognize him. That's not a cross behind him. That's part of the Facebook logo. So, um, <clears throat> so what do they have in common? They're rich. They're rich. Okay. All right. What else? Technology. They're well known. Technology. They're rich nerds, right? So, and, and we recognize them. We recognize them. Let me tell you about somebody you don't recognize. In in 1991, he was a high school student living in Finland, and. He, he was a software developer, much like these gentlemen, um, and he wrote some software, and he uploaded it to a file sharing site, and he said, I've written this program, and I'd like to see if it works on your systems. Could you guys try it out in your setups and let me know if it works? And so a lot of people said, yes, it works fine. Other people said, said no, but I made some changes to the code, and now it does. And so they sent back the change, and so he put little if statements in his, um, in his software that said, if you're in my setup, run this way, but if you're on that setup, run the other way. And so it would work on both types of setups. So people did that, and they actually kept doing it. And people sent him so many changes that, that a few years later, in 1994, he was able to release version 1.0. Um, and so that was the, 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 the 25th anniversary of version 1.0 will be um, next month. And um, uh, what that was was the Linux operating system. And uh, you may not know about the Linux operating system, but but a lot of people do. His name is Linus Torvalds, and he wrote he wrote this software, and he's continued to write it because people have continued to use it. If you have an Android phone, you have a copy of Linux wherever your phone is, in your purse or in your pocket. If you have a Chromebook, you have a copy of Linux. If you've got a lot of equipment, if you've got um, uh, one of those gadgets you hook up to your house to turn on the lights or change their color, things like that, you've probably got a copy of Linux. If you have one of the world's 500 fastest supercomputers, you have a copy of Linux because, as it happens, every single one of the top 500 research supercomputers in the world runs Linux because Linux has continued to grow and be refined for the last, whatever that is, 28 years. Because Linus Torvalds gave it away. 
And people kept sending back fixes and saying, hey, I want to give away a fix too because it makes this software better. People sent him so many changes, so many pieces of code that he needed to incorporate that he wrote something else. He wrote a program called Git, which is a a source code management tool that enables you to make sense of a lot of software. There's about 200 million lines of code in the in the Unix kernel, uh, Linux kernel these days. He needed software to control it, so he wrote software and gave it away again. And today, about 40% of professional software developers use this program, Git, to, to develop software. Even if they don't have anything to do with Linux, they still use Git. There's a whole industry uh, of companies that have been set up uh, so that IT departments don't have to figure out how to make Git work, right, because they don't want to do that, so they just outsource it. So there's a bunch of outsourcing companies that run Git for you. One of them is called GitHub. It has 100 million accounts, um, 28 million individual users run run their, their Git software on Git. And last summer, Microsoft, Microsoft, the company that Bill Gates used to run, bought GitHub for $7.5 billion because Linus Torvalds gave his software away. Now, why am I telling you all this? I'm not expecting any of you to become coders and start giving your software away and develop the next operating system. But uh, to invite you to ask the question, have you been living your life thinking, you know, if I have enough stuff, then I'll be like, you know, uh, Bill Gates and, and Facebook guy and, um, and uh, Steve Jobs. And maybe instead you should say, you know what, if I gave stuff away in my own life, that would do in my own little world what it did for Linus Torvalds in his world. What would it look like if you went ahead and you got the thing, you've got your eye on it, you, you, know, you know you want it, right? How about when you got it, instead of putting the old one in a tote in the attic or in the basement, how about if you gave that away? How about if you said, you know what, I, I'm not Jay Leno. I can't have a garage full of these things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give away the old one. I'm not going to assume that by accumulating a bunch of them that somehow my life will be better. So think about what in your life is that thing for you that you might be a different person. You might affect the world differently if you give that thing away when you accumulate the new thing. Because what Jesus is inviting us to do is not to to sell all we have, at least not in this passage, and I don't think mostly. Jesus is not telling us to sell all we have. He's inviting us to consider what it would be like if we quit trusting in stuff. Jesus says that if you trust in stuff, that is a competitor for your heart and you cannot be rich toward God. So think about what it would be like if all of the people, starting with us, when we walk through the store and we see that sale on totes, instead of saying, I need some more totes to get some more stuff, we said, you know what, I've got that tote in the basement. I'm going to figure, I'm going to go through that and figure out what I can get rid of. Because I've been trusting in stuff. Imagine if you did that. Imagine if everybody who claims to trust Jesus actually trusted him in this area and put into practice what he teaches. How would the world be different? What might our equivalent of the Linux operating system and the Git software development system be like? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this challenge is even greater for us today than it was 2,000 years ago, because in that era, who had more than one or two things of anything? But today, Lord, we have so much. We have 
totes in our basement, totes in our attic. We have garages full of things. Lord, you have blessed us with an abundance. Help us, Lord, not to trust in it. Help us to have the courage to get rid of the things that we won't be using, the things that we don't enjoy, to see if by doing so we can make other people's lives richer and our lives simpler. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.